Hi, our guest this week is not a musician, but he's definitely a discerning music lover and a talented producer. Nick Gold has been at the helm of World Circuit Records for close to three decades now. It's become one of the most important world music labels ever and has done a huge amount to promote West African and Cuban music in particular. Buena Vista Social Club, Umu Sangare, Tumani Jubate, Cherlo, Orchestra Baobab, Gold has produced some of their best albums and helped bring the late great Malian bluesman Ali Fakatouré to our ears here in Europe. Although, as you'll hear in the show today, Gold admits he and World Circuit owe a lot to Touré himself. Along with BMG, World Circuit has just published a remasterized version of Ali Fakatouré's last album, Savannah, along with three other of its cornerstone albums. We sat down to chat about that music, and I began by asking Gold about the bridges between Cuba and Mali, two of the countries for which he has a particular passion. Something about those countries is they seem to have this amazing wealth of music and culture, and they're very aware that they have it as well. So they're very, you know, they're proud of the fact that they have this amazing resource of music. And, you know, you'll say to them, well, haven't you got amazing music? They go, well, yeah, we know. <laughs> they're, they're very definite about it. They know how powerful it is and how important it is. So it's no, it's no real surprise to them that it travels, I think. But you've certainly helped it to reach much bigger audiences outside of the African continent and outside of Cuba. And to, to that extent, in a way, you were a bit of a pioneer? Well, I, I don't know, maybe. I never really thought of myself in that way. I just was attracted to that music. And, you know, it always felt more of a privilege that they were letting me work with them rather than me sort of being a, a pioneer in any way, being able to be, you know, a part of making music or producing music with those people has been yeah, just an honour. So World Circuit and BMG, who took over World Circuit uh, in 2018, yeah. together you've reissued remastered versions of four major albums. That's Alefaka Touré's Savannah, his last album, yeah. Omar Portuondo's Buena Vista Social Club Presents, Radio Tarifa's Rumba Argelina and Guillermo Portabella's El Caratero. So there are on CD, vinyl and digital formats. Why is it a big deal to re-release these four works? Well, I think more than anything, it's nice to get them on vinyl and it's nice to be able to revisit them and make them sound as beautiful as they can. Because things sound better on vinyl than well, they do not, on CD? Well, no, I don't think it's so much they sound better, but what we've been able to do is go back to the master tapes and tweak them a little bit and bring out nuances and so forth. So I think they sound better now, whether they're on digital or CD or vinyl, so they sound better anyway. And mm. then it's just nice to have that traditional format back again i think people and me included like the ceremony of playing our vinyl and immersing ourselves in the artwork and so forth as well also putting out vinyl it just gives it another opportunity to get it out there again 
let's get then Marley's Alifaka Touré out there, as you say. So he was a legendary guitarist, arguably he was a pioneer of, of desert blues. And the album that you've remastered is Savan. That was his last solo album. So can you just tell me a bit about recording it with him? That was in Hotel Monde, wasn't it, on the banks of the Niger River? Yeah, it was. I mean, he'd, he'd sort of retired, really, Ali, and he'd gone back to Nierfunke, his his home village, and was cultivating the land there and back to farming which he'd done when he was a boy and he saw that as more important than music and mm. he'd been touring a lot and he felt that his connection was needed to enable him to play music again so once he'd been back home again for a while and stopped touring he then sent me demos of himself with some traditional guitarists which he he never did he never sent demos he was a very reluctant recording artist early so, you know, I immediately got excited that he was excited about playing again and he was obviously very interested and excited about playing very much roots and his own traditions again, so he was being sort of re-energised by it. But, you know, the mountain has to go to... Which way, which way round is it? <laughs> to Mohammed. <laughs> yeah. So, so, we, so we had to go and visit Ali in, in um, Bamako and we, we established ourselves with a little portable studio on the, this hotel. Got all these windows looking out onto the river and, you know, Ali uh, established himself there with his little group of Angoni players. He had three Angoni players. So, it was, you know, it's quite an ensemble record rather than Ali accompanied by. It's a back-to-the-roots record. Mesdames de troupies Ah, title track, Savannah. A bit of reggae in it, a bit of blues in it, which becomes very easy for him to absorb. And there's some amazing um, Ngoni playing by uh, Baseko Kiyate on it. If we can just go back a bit then, Nick, because you first produced Ali Faka Touré in 1987, which was on World Circuit Records, really kicked off. Yeah. And so you, you produced an our mythic album, Talking Timbuktu, which went on to win Grammy Awards and so on and, and was recorded with Rai Kuda. So I guess you helped to make that album a success, but is it fair to say that Ali Faka Touré also launched World Circuit Records? Yes, I think that's fair. So, I mean, actually, I didn't, I didn't produce that record. Rye produced it. I sort of enabled it rather than... Rather facilitated than, yes, the whole facilitated thing. Yes, facilitated it. Yeah. You know, I worked on the repertoire and so forth, but Rye actually was the producer there. But, yeah, we did Ali's first record in 87, and immediately it sold a lot more than the other records we'd done, and as did his second record and third record. But this record in particular caught people's imagination and sold a lot more records. So he was huge help to the label in sales and who he was but he also introduced me to a lot of other music so it was because of Ali that I worked with Timani Giobate he introduced us to Umu Sangare to Dimimin Abba from Mauritania he encouraged me to listen to Cuban music and so forth so he was very important as as a sort of unofficial A&R man as well and uh, you know a real inspiration for carrying on and to looking deeper into Malian music and African music. Mm-hmm. 
the label, and you as a producer, perhaps most identified with Buena Vista Social Club, that album, again, won Grammy Awards. I think it's become the biggest selling world music album of all time. And it, it did a lot to make Cuban and Latin American music um, very popular. The album that you've chosen to re-release is one recorded with Omara Portuondo, the only female singer in the band, and she's now 88, and I think she's just on her swan song tour this year. Yeah, we have to wait and see if it actually is her swan song. It's one of those where they say, this is going to be my last one, and then, oh, they just managed to have another. Yeah, I I don't think there'll be any cynicism in it. I think she finds it very difficult not to do it. She loves being on stage. Well, yeah, she's very good at it. I like the the track Donde Stabas too, which is a very much like a fifties era sort of machito mambo song. You know, it's it's a dance song really. It has an amazing groove. It's a very interesting record. It's her first post Buena Vista record. So it's with the same core group as on the Buena Vista record. And it was, again, it was just very nice to be able to go back into those master tapes because everything that came out of that studio at that time with that set of musicians just sounds amazing. Reminders of the studio. At Egram Studios in Centro Havana, which is an old Havana. It's the studio built in the end of the 50s for a local independent record company called Panart which after the revolution became the, you know, the main state recording studio for Egrem, which was the state um, record company. And it, it's just a beautiful sounding room. Very large studio, just in centre of Havana, which is a very old part of Havana, and you just come off the street, these tiny little pavements, and go into this sort of glass-fronted, you don't know what you're going into, and you go up these windy stairs along a corridor, and suddenly you're in this just very large, all-wooden studio. Even if you walk along the room, the tip-tap of your feet sounds beautiful in that room. There's something about the, the, the echo in there and the acoustic in there, which is just beautiful. And you can hear it, on, especially on Buena Vista, but you can hear it in a lot of these records. in getting Buena Vista Social Club back out of retirement and up and running. What memory do you have of that moment? Well, I think that more than anything is the memory of, you know, I've still got very, very vivid memories of standing in the studio amongst that group of musicians in that room and watching and, you know, witnessing this music just flow out.
six, six days, and we were just recording all the time. We could have carried on and on and on, but had to, had to come back home. And then I think the memory of you'd, you'd, you'd stand in the studio with the musicians. We had the musicians very, very close together so that we got a, an internal dynamic, so that they were very physically close and they were interacting with each other. And there was an amazing exuberance and sort of weird sort of joie de vie because a lot of these musicians hadn't played for a long time so they mm. were meeting old friends and being, you know some sort of validation amongst the younger musicians that were there it was a real thrill to be there and you know this social club it felt like a social club it felt like you were very privileged member of this exclusive club of wonderful musicians and then you'd move from the studio where you're sitting with them into the control room and this very rarely happens but you you can hear the same thing so we knew that we were we were capturing exactly what was happening in that room and i think that's one of the amazing things about the record is you feel you're you're there you feel enveloped in it so it gives you goosebumps yeah it does i can it's very 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 um strong um, physical memory physical memory and I, i can see it yeah In fact, at the time when you recorded that, you were expecting to have musicians coming over from Mali at the same time. It didn't work out. Yeah, well, the original project was to do a collaboration between music from the east of Cuba, from Santiago, sort of guitar-based music, and a guitarist and an Ngoni player from Mali to bring them together. But we had um, visa problems. Afterwards, we found out that Cuba and Mali had a special relationship whereby they didn't need visas. So it was, you know, who knows, maybe that was meant to be, but... At the time it was slightly frustrating, but what happened was pretty wonderful. You've gone beyond Cuba, you've gone beyond West Africa, and in 1996 you released Rumba Argelina by the Spanish band Radio Tarifa. What was so groundbreaking about that album? Yeah, I mean, when I very first heard that record, it just it just captured my imagination, and it was a very sort of unique sounding record it was these three musicians who i think two of them got together as students i think of musicology Thomas molina the flute player and fine duenas a percussionist and they were sort of studying medieval musics and arabic musics and spanish musics and they got together with this um singer called uh, benjamin escuara who was a flamenco singer And in looking at this medieval music and Arabic music and Spanish music, they started to focus on Tarifa, which is the most southern part of Spain, so the closest point in Europe to Africa. And they sort of imagined what a local radio station would have um, imparted to the world. And so they came up with this sort of fusion of flamenco, Moorish music, medieval music, 
but in a very accessible way, you know, with, with the melody is very strongly exposed. It's very easy music to listen to, but it's very captivating and it sort of conjures up another wonderful world that's um, nice to be a part of, nice to go there for a while. En su tonada que es muy guajira y muy sentida alegre canto Hay por el camino del sitio mío un carretero alegre paso Nick, we can't end this program without mentioning the album El Caratero by the Cuban vocalist and guitarist Guillermo Portabelis. This album was originally released in 1996. And so this is a collection of music that he recorded mainly from the 1960s. Yeah, because he he lived in uh, Puerto Rico for a long time, so those are Puerto Rican recordings from the 60s. I was reading that the song, the title track, El Caratero, was one of his most famous, but I don't know much about the guy, so tell us a bit about this Cuban vocalist. So Guillermo Portobolis would have been, I was mentioning before, this music of Santiago in the east of Cuba, so he, he was a practitioner of that music, guitar-based music from the east of Cuba. So he played Guajira music, which means country music, the music of the countryside of Cuba. But he developed this style called Guajira de Salon, which was... A sort of very refined version of that music with the melodies very, very much exposed. He was a very great guitarist as well with, like, single-string picking. He was a sort of musician with every every note is meant. There's no, there's no noodling there. And um, rhythmically, it's also very strong. But it's a strange juxtaposition because it's very powerful but quite sedate at the same time. And interestingly, I heard him in West Africa before I heard him in Cuba. So his music's very, very popular in Mali and Senegal, especially the track El Caratero. It's covered by what well, it was covered in the 60s and 70s, and you still hear it. You hear his original, and you hear covers of it via bands in, in West Africa. Yeah, taxis with all these mixtapes. Exactly, yeah, yeah and, and bars and stuff, you'll still, you'll still hear it. And it's sort of an anthem, El Caratero. Chapea el monte, cultiva el llano, recoge el fruto de tu sudor. Chapea el monte, cultiva el llano, recoge el fruto de tu sudor. Nick, there must have been loads of golden moments, but is there one that stands out for you as a producer of world music? There's loads of moments. One which isn't really a moment as a producer, but because we were just mentioning hearing music in a, in a taxi, was a visit I made to Bamako in Mali when I very first heard the music of Uma Sangare. It was this record she recorded called Masulu. And it was um, Wasulu music, which is very sort of rhythmic, hypnotic music from the south of Mali. And she has this most amazing voice and this, this incredible record which spoke of empowerment of women and also had songs of sensual love about women, you know, subjects that just weren't talked about at all. But it was, you know, I didn't know what the music was talking about at the time, it was just the music. And you just heard it everywhere. So you'd go out, music was like being 
passed around like a baton in a relay race. So you'd, you'd, you'd come out of your house and you'd hear it on the corner, people making tea, it'd be blasting out of there. Then you'd get in a taxi, you'd hear the next song out of there. You'd walk into the market, and you'd, you'd, as, as it disappeared, the music, and as you walked along, it then appeared from the next door. It, it was just amazing that this music just blanketed the whole of um, Bamako at the time. Never seen a music sort of that powerfully up front and taking over. Sort of soundtrack and, of the city. Yeah, and then getting to work with her. So that was, you know, then amazing, you know, getting an introduction with, with Ali to Umu and then being able to work with her. I remember and one day she lent me her car, which was a pink car painted in the same colour as her fingernails. And I drove that round in my and I kept getting stopped with people shouting, Umu, Umu. <laughs> So that was, it was not really a producer memory, but it was a lovely memory, yeah. Can't say any better than that, can I? <laughs> Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, Nick Gold. Thank you. So bad.